Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. This week, you can join us by turning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, as Pastor Ben Hartwick continues with part 2 of his sermon titled, Born Again, Off with the Old, On with the New. I will reiterate what Josh has already said. Thank you, TJ and and crew here. Um, that song in particular, good song as we go into this passage. Um, continuing on in chapter 4 of Ephesians, picking up where we left off last week in chapter 4 at verse 20. And again, what we'll do is we'll read this entire section from verse 17 to verse 24 verse 17 through verse 24. Uh, there's going to be a lot of echo here. Uh, you'll hear a lot of things that you heard last week because the passage really just keeps developing what it has already said. Somebody's extremely happy about what's going on, um, but uh, it's all good. So we'll pick up at verse 17, chapter 4, Ephesians. Paul writes there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. So, if we pause there for just a second... We go back to what we said uh, last week in verse 17 with what he said in that whole three and a half chapters of everything that you are, everything that has happened. And then he says, so because of all that, now you must no longer do what? Walk as the Gentiles do. Well, now he comes with this again and he explains this again and he says, but that's not the way you learned Christ. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for what Paul refers to as the newness of life, what you have done. Father, what you have done in salvation, what you've done for us in redemption, and then as he closes this passage out in righteousness and holiness. Father, the orientation now of life after conversion, after being born again, this orientation of life. We're not perfectly righteous yet. We're not perfectly holy yet. But Father, we thank you for this newness of life, this orientation. And Father, help us as we take this out to a lost and dying world. And we thank you. We praise you for it. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So we spent our time in that old walk last week, right? The old walk last week in verses 17 through 19. And we're going to go back to that again here. Uh, don't blame the preacher because there is, well, there he goes talking about sin again, harping on sin again. And and, and so often the, the preacher gets accused uh, of that's all that guy ever talks about. All he ever talks about is sin and death and hell and it's doom and gloom. And I just, why, where is the, well, the problem with that is, is. Sometimes that is all some folks talk about. The good news is the Bible doesn't leave us there, right? The Bible does not leave us with that. The Bible explains the gospel. The Bible tells us about Jesus. But we must hear much about sin if we're ever going to understand redemption. We must hear much about sin if we're ever going to be saved. But then after we're saved, after we're born again, after that point of salvation, as we're growing in Christ, as we are doing this thing called sanctification and as we should be sinning less, right? So I'm born again at this point in 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, 60 years down the road, this idea that I should be sinning less, there should be a lesser magnitude, a lesser frequency of sin that I'm committing, but there's a greater awareness of it, right? There's a greater awareness, a greater grieving that I have as I grow because I do understand better and I also have a greater appreciation for salvation. So, we're not left there, right? We're not left there at sin. The Bible doesn't leave us there at sin. We come to these verses and we find the new walk in Christ is the antithesis of that old walk, right? It's something completely different. What do we say? It's not the improved old walk. It's not like, man, I'm glad I took that and sprinkled a little improvement on it. Now that's a little bit better. It's not an improved old walk. Things have changed. If we look at something very practical, like money, right? We're in the Western world. Money is, is something that's very practical to us. We got to have it to eat. We got to have it to live. We got to have it to keep the lights on. We have to have it. But that's one very practical thing that our view changes of after salvation, right? The way that we handle our money, the way we look at our money. If you go home and you look at your budget, if you have one of those, you should, I would suggest that. But if you married a budget geek like I did, I can tell you, I can ask her, what was our water bill in 1998 in December? She could tell you that. I promise. I'm not, that's, but if you look at your budget, it'll tell you a lot about where you're at. It'll tell you a lot about what you love. It'll tell your budget will tell you a lot about what you find important. And what you will find is that changes whenever we're born again. What is important? If I found myself looking for a church, if I would moved away somewhere and I found myself looking at a church, I want to see the church budget. Why? Because I'm absorbed with, with money and care for it? No, it's because I want to see what they care about. Right? The old self, it was self-centered. It was futile, we're told. The new is Christ-centered and purposeful. The old is ignorant of God's truth. The new knows and understands God's truth. Whereas the old is morally and spiritually calloused and shameless, the new is sensitive to sin of every sort. The old is totally depraved in its thinking, but the new is renewed. So uh, with that in mind, we dive right in to that which is new. And that begins there in verse 20 with Christ-centeredness. Now, he doesn't say 
Make Christ central to your life. Make sure that Christ is center of everything that you're doing. Make sure Christ is central. Make sure that you put the thing up on the wall in your house, these cool little stickers that you put on your wall that says Christ is the center of our home. Uh, it, that's not exactly what he's saying. None of that is bad, right? That's, but that is, in my opinion, exactly what he's saying. He doesn't say it explicitly, but he says that that is not the way you learned Christ. Now, in making that exclamatory uh, statement, that is not the way you learn Christ. It seems to me, based upon everything else that he says, is that's not the way you learn Christ. What you have learned in Christ is that Christ is indeed central. We spoke last week about the evils of the pagan world and the self-centered, purposeless, standardless wickedness that comes from and leads to darkness and ignorance. And Paul declares to believers, remember because he's writing to the church, right? Paul declares to believers who had, some had fallen back into degradation, but you did not learn Christ this way. Those things are not the way of Christ or the kingdom or his family in this long list of stuff that he is laying out here. What this is is a direct reference to salvation. Paul doesn't mean book learning here. Paul doesn't mean the sitting in class, you know, because what, whenever we say learned, that's not the way you learned Christ. When many of us think of learning, we think of if you hate school, you think of the misery of sitting in a classroom and learning. This is a direct reference not to book learning or studying about Jesus or reading your Bible, that which you should be doing. He's, that's not what he's talking about. He is talking here about salvation. He is talking about redemption. To learn Christ is that of being saved. Because if it wasn't, all of this other stuff that he talks about that is abhorrent wickedness, we couldn't do anything about outside of Christ. It's a knowledge of the truth, learning the truth, if you will. This is coming to know that truth, hence salvation. This is belief. There is a moment of saving faith, and after that saving faith, things change. We're still warned, of course, in James 4, 4, friendship with the world is hostility towards God. The person that professes Christ but makes no effort to break with worldly and sinful habits does indeed have reason to doubt his salvation. If you, if you say that you are indeed born again and absolutely nothing has changed, what are we told? I'm lying. You can't love the world and love Christ. The ways of God and the ways of the world are not compatible. The idea which is promoted by many, many in churches, many in churches who even claim to be evangelicals that a Christian does not have to give up anything or change anything when he becomes a Christian is nothing less than just diabolical wickedness, right? That notion under the pretense of elevating the grace of God and protecting the gospel from works righteousness will do nothing but send many down a very, very broad way that leads to hell. And sadly, there's a confidence of faith a so-called faith the whole way. 
So salvation begins with repentance. It starts with repentance. It's a change of mind, a change of action regarding sin, regarding self, and regarding God. If you look at the preaching in the Bible, if you look at the preaching in the New Testament, if you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, what does it begin with? It begins with repentance. No one can be saved without forsaking sin, without repentance. Repentance, though, doesn't save you, right? That would be a work of man. Repentance doesn't save you. That would be salvation of man. God cannot, because of what He set up, He won't save us from sin that we will not repent of. It's to no longer love sin and hate God, but love God and hate sin. No Christian, with that said, no Christian is totally free from sin, right? We said this last week. No Christian is totally free from sin in this life, but in Christ, it is to be free from that orientation to sin. What is the orientation of my life? What is the way that I am headed? What is my orientation? Yes, I will slip. I will fall maybe several times, but the determined direction of my life is away from sin, and that is key. It is a pattern, a practice of life. So what you know in Christ and what you quickly learn in Christ is that you cannot trust your own thinking. That's one thing that, that I saw very early on after being saved was that I can't rely on my own way. The, the, the sign that I remember seeing in an office I worked in a few years back that said, follow your heart. The problem with that is the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. You follow your heart, things are going to go bad quickly. Why? The heart is deceitful above all things. We are, in a sense, we're given the mind of Christ so that the mind of Christ is the only mind. That is the only thing on which I can rely on. That is all that I can rely on. If Jesus sought the mind of His heavenly Father, the holy and perfectly righteous Jesus sought the mind of the Heavenly Father, how much more should I? The mark of your life as a Christian should be that I am thinking like Christ, I'm acting like Christ, I'm loving like Christ, and in every possible way, be like Christ in order that we live with Him. Now, that's a tall order, right? Again, we get back to that that we said last week, what's God's call in my life? Because that's a question everybody asks. What's God's purpose in my life? What's God's call in my life? Read the passage. That's God's call in your life right here. That I be like Him. That is His call on my life. To be like Him, to think like Him, to act like Him. He's holy and righteous. How do I do that? I cling to Him. Again, the song that we sang there. We cling to Him. In order that we live with Him, God works out His plan for the creation through us. This Christ-centered life that He, in this verse 20, whenever he says, that's not the way you learn Christ, there's an implication there that I think is, 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 is big. And that's why I'm focusing in on that. And that is that that's not the way you learn Christ. The way you learn Christ is that Christ is indeed central. And this is the most purposeful and meaningful life that there is. This is the work of God. And it's then, Christ is central, it is then that I can properly, verse 21, know God's truth. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, last week we said we're not to be ignorant of God's truth, right? We're not to be ignorant of God's truth as the world is, but instead hear of Christ and be taught in Christ. It refers to the time 
when believers were taught, came to believe the gospel, that which is here called the truth in Jesus Christ. When you're born again, you come into the truth of God. Again, this is this learning isn't just a well, I'm, I'm, I'm learning here, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm book studying, I'm coming to class. No, this is to come into the truth of God. This is being part of the truth of God. So as we said, if you have heard Him, you haven't heard the audible voice from the sky. What did we say last week? You haven't seen the plane fly across the sky with the thing pulled behind it that says, this is what you must do. It's that you've heard the spiritual call to salvation. So on the other hand, life without God leads to that cynicism about truth. Here's the echo again from last week. The ungodly person, again, asks that stupid question. What is truth? Well, what really is truth, right? When he asks that, he asks in a rhetorical way because to the unconverted, there's really no answer that satisfies. Now keep in mind when a person makes that statement about how their truth is okay for you and okay for me, and, and, and again, this is that echo from last week that, that you hear quite often in our culture. It's the, the cafeteria line, right? It's the cafeteria line faith. I'll take this, leave that, take this, leave that, and then now I've got exactly what I want. That's not the way that it works, right? We don't get to pick and choose. Can't have it your way, right? And whenever that statement is made, here's the echo. Oh, well, there's no absolute truth. They've just made that self-defeating absolute truth statement. And we have to say, is there truth or is there not? Well, of course, we know that there is. We're told right here that indeed there is. Of course, we know that there is. We have heard Him. We have been taught in Him just as the truth is in Jesus. And you and I that call ourselves born again, are to have a recognition and say that the truth of Jesus Christ is in me. That's not just to know facts, right? It's more than that. This is the truth about salvation. This is the truth that leads to the fullness of truth about God and man and creation and history and sin and righteousness and grace, faith, salvation, life, death, purpose, meaning, relationships, heaven, hell, judgment. All the things that are of ultimate and, and very real and serious consequence. And the thing about life and death and history and creation and purpose and meaning in heaven and hell, everyone, you go out into the world, people have their version of these things, right? They all have their own version of faith. They all have their own version of salvation. They all have their own version of hell. All oh, that hell, that, that doesn't really exist. You'll hear that, right? God gave us all of these things. God has the truth about all of these things. All of these things that are of ultimate consequence, God has given us the truth about. We are given the truth about each and every one of the things that are of real and true importance. John summed this relationship truth up for us whenever he wrote, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Given us understanding in order that we might know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So all of those things, man, creation, history, sin, death, hell, heaven, all of these things that have been given to us, we've been told the truth about in God, in Christ. This is the only truth, and it is important, for it is that which takes us all the way to deliverance from the old self to the new.
verse 22. Again, it's this idea to put off your old self. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Put off. You might have lay aside in front of you. Regardless, it's implied here that this is done at the point of conversion. It is seemingly mentioned here as a reminder of the reality of that experience of which has already occurred. Lay aside the old self, directly related to hearing and being taught in the gospel. It should be noted that although it is essential absolutely essential to affirm that salvation is a divine and sovereign miracle apart from any human contribution or help it must be affirmed that men do hear and believe and lay aside the old while putting on the new the saving act of god causes responses in the believing soul God saves me and causes responses in my soul. These aren't human works required for divine salvation. These are inherent, inherent elements of the divine work of salvation. Paul's terms here, it's basically a description of repentance from sin and then submission to God. Taught as the, these are the elements, the elements of, of regeneration. Now, of course, this is all in stark contrast to the unregenerate who continually resists and rejects God. I'm going to just continue to live in this world, uh, in my own little world, where sin will dominate me, also known as the former manner of life. That's what Paul is referring to as that former manner of life. This contrast is in the fact that the Christian has received the call to lay aside the old self. Again, what's he doing here? He's writing to a people in a church... And, and churches have a common thread about them, right? We are forgetful. We have a tendency to do things we shouldn't do. Now, is that the orientation of our life? Is that the practice of our life? Is that, is that, the, is that the focus of the life? It, it better not be, right? But that doesn't mean that I don't slip this way or slip that way. It's that whenever I see this old self-talk, I get this right. It comes into this attitude, this orientation of repentance. This old self-talk, this is a sense of being worn out, a sense of being useless, consistent with gospel wording in other letters that Paul writes. In Colossians 3, Paul says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have been raised up. You laid aside the old self. You have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Who talks like that? God does, right? God speaks like that. You understand that all of this, of course, pointing back to that action that has already occurred, the completed event of salvation. So in this example, this matter is brought to the Colossians just like it is here to the Ephesians. And we reflect off what should be fresh in our minds that Josh has already taken us through in Romans 6 where Paul describes the nature of salvation. What's he say in Romans 6? We died to sin. All of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus. We have been buried with Him into death. We have been united with Him in His death. Our old self was crucified with Him. Our body of sin might be done away with. He who has died, we have died with Christ. Again, who talks like that? God. Again, all this looks back to that event. It's happened, sealed, been transformed. And all of this tells us that salvation, all of us, 
All of this tells us that re redemption is a spiritual union with Jesus Christ in His death and resurrection that can also be described as the death of the old self, the resurrection of the new self who now walks in, again, what is it? The newness. It's the newness of life. This is where you are to be, Christian, in the newness of life. This union, this new identity, clearly mean that salvation is a transformation. It's not the addition of a new self. It's not addition of just some nice little things to the old self. Then Jesus Christ, praise Him, the old self is not there. We, we said last week, right, the body of flesh is still there. Flesh is still there. That sin is still there. The flesh is there, but the nature is new. And now, and only now, can we go to battle and win those battles against the flesh. Rewind back few weeks, several weeks, whenever it was. I don't remember when it was, but I really like this, this very practical thing that Josh said about winning a three-month battle. Take that pet sin. because, And here's why I like this. Because so often what we do is we take the sin that we're struggling with, or maybe these, this number of sins that we're struggling with, and we look at this and we say, this is far too difficult. I can't do this. I've got to, you know, I'm going to live another 50 years. And in 50 years, I, I, I can't do this for 50 years. I can't defeat this thing, fill in the blank. I can't defeat this thing for 50 years. And, and it was just a very practical thing that he said, stop it for three months. Now, if you've ever been at work or you've had something in your life and it was going to last, I don't know, three months. It was going to last six months. It was going to last eight months, whatever it is. You said, you know, I can do anything for three months. I can do anything for six months. His point was when you starve the flesh, what, what happens? It's, it's dying, right? You starve it and it dies. You starve it and it dies. You get to the end of that three months and you think, look what Christ has done. You know, that's not on me. I don't get the glory for that, but I get on the other side of that three months and I look what Christ has done. This can be done. I can do this through Christ, through the truth that is in me, through the Christ who is in me, through the Christ who is central in me. I can do this. And so now I could do this for another three months. I could do this for another six months. I could do this for another 50 years. It's extraordinarily practical what he said there. To take that as a battle that lasts that long, and then when I get on the other side, I say, I can continue doing this. Why? Because of the truth that is in me, because of the Christ that is in me, because of the Christ who has redeemed me and saved me. And that's what the Ephesians heard and were taught according to the, th the truth in Jesus. The old self wasn't just corrupt, but was increasingly being corrupted because it is the tool for evil desire that is being controlled by deceit. The gospel, what it does is it invites us to lay the old self aside in repentance from sin that includes not just being sorry for sin, not just being, oh, I got to face the consequences for sin and I'm upset about that. No, it's that I have turned from it and turned to God. And if that's what you've done, then it is that you have become new. Verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So in stark contrast then to all that other stuff that is in the passage of the depraved, reprobate mind and the lost, unregenerate person, the Christian is renewed continually. It's a continual renewal in the spirit of the mind. Put off, lay aside the old self, put on the new self. Salvation, this relates to the entirety of the person, especially the heart, the mind, right? The heart, mind, that's the center of thought, the understanding, belief, motive, action, entire worldview, all of that changing, seeing things through different glasses, becoming a Christian, God initially renewing, the mind, giving a completely new spiritual, moral capability. And this is a capability that the most brilliant and educated mind apart from Christ can never achieve. This renewal only occurs whenever you're obedient to the Word, whenever you're obedient to the will of God. Again, what's God's will for my life? It's right here. But off the old, put on the new. This isn't just simply a one-time accomplishment. This isn't, you know, as we often say, this isn't whenever somebody takes somebody and says, okay, repeat these phrases in this prayer after me. And then you repeat these little phrases in this prayer and then they tell you and they say, okay, now you go out and live and don't let anybody ever tell you any different about your salvation because you're saved and it, and, and, and it doesn't matter. Now, they don't often put it like that, but often that's the way they put it. This isn't just you pray the prayer and you're okay or you walk the aisle or whatever it is, whatever uh, contextual ridiculousness for the, uh, that is. Well, well, I walked the aisle when I was eight years old, so I'm okay. It's very, very dangerous thinking. This isn't that simple one-time accomplishment. This is now the continual work, the blood, sweat, and tears of living for Christ the work of the Spirit and the child of God. Our resources are prayer. Our resources are the Word of God. Our resources is the resources, the Spirit of God. Through this, we gain the mind of Christ, living for Christ. You put on the new self. That which was made new in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness in us, the holiness of the truth. That which was once darkened, that which was once ignorant and hardened and sensual and greedy among a whole host of other things is now enlightened. Enlightened in the truth, knowing the truth, sensitive to sin, being characterized by righteousness and holiness. And again, just to beat the dead horse here and be clear, to say new, it does not mean renovated. It doesn't mean that I've torn the cabinets out and I've put up new ones like that, that I've made a renovated kitchen or something, right? It's that this is new. This is different. This is entirely new in species character. The wondrous reality of salvation is that when you are born again, you're created now in the likeness. You are in the likeness of God in your mind and in your heart. Yes, you were in the image of God before, right? Not in that you were saved, not in that um, you, you were like Him, 
but in the likeness of that, uh, of, of that likeness of, uh, of that image of God. That's why there's a sanctity of life thing. That's why all life is precious. But no, this is now you're created in the likeness of God. Now we have the ability to do these things. Now we have the ability to serve Him rightly, bringing glory to Him. And if you call yourself a believer and you've received the divine nature, the life of Christ, if you will, the likeness of God in this new self by this act of divine creation upon you, this is obviously created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So righteous and holy is this new self that Paul absolutely refuses to admit that any sin comes from that new creation in God's image. It's only from the flesh. As Paul writes in Romans 6 and 7, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin. There's much talk about the body in the flesh. See, that's not of God. There's the new creation that is of God. This is of the flesh. Nothing good dwells within the flesh. I have been changed. So verse 20 of chapter 7 of Romans. It isn't me. It's the sin that dwells within me. It's the flesh. It's unredeemed humanness. I have to reign over that, not it over me. And I can reign over that because of Christ. Because of the Christ who has changed me. Because of the Christ who has saved me. That is why I can fight. That's why I can struggle. And that's why I can win. Because of the Christ who has indeed redeemed me. And that, by the way, is also why we long for that eventual redemption of body in completion, right? In glorification. That's why we long for that. That's why we look forward to that. Because then there will be no more sin. That's the glorification we look forward to. So we are new. We're not all new. We're righteous, but not totally righteous yet. We are holy, but not holy yet, completely, perfectly righteous and holy, but we are to understand the genuine reality of this transforming salvation, and that is essential if we know how to live as Christians in the body of Christ to which we indeed belong. Now, if you were homeless, and you came to me, and, uh, and I, we were going to take care of you, we we're going to take you in, what, what is the first thing that we would get done? Probably be a shower, right? It'd probably be a shower because, I mean, you may be nose blind to yourself, but you wouldn't be nose blind to the rest of us, right? And so you would take a shower. And what I would do is I'd say, put your clothes in this trash bag, right? And then when you get out of the shower, I give you those clothes back and I say, here, put those on, right? No, wrong. Whenever you get out of the shower, I say, you know, there's a dumpster a couple blocks down the road. Go there and get you some new clothes. No, wrong. It's not what we do you get new clothes. And we probably burn your old clothes, right? You're a clean man. You know, you get out of the shower sometimes. If you've ever had a trip or something where you went and camping trip or, you know, a bunch of guys go hunting for a few days or something like that and there's no way to take a shower and there's a lot of manliness going on there that really doesn't smell too good. What do you say when you get out of the shower? I feel like a new man, right? Now I have to have clean clothes. Now this is a very inadequate illustration to say that we simply haven't had a bath and turned over a new leaf here. This is something new. I have a friend. He's over 60 years old. He's been to rehab a few times in his life because of a 
uh, cocaine addiction. And I tell you this story because he would tell you this story. And um, he had a very expensive and awful um, uh, addiction in his life, uh, drug addiction, among other terrible things. And he will tell you, I wish somebody would have explained the gospel to me at rehab because I got out and I went back. I got out and I went back. Why? Because nothing had actually changed. Nothing had changed. If only somebody would have explained the gospel to me at rehab. Now, this guy was saved about 10-ish years ago. And he became something new, I can assure you. He became something new, something that he will tell you rehab couldn't do. Only Christ could indeed do, and that was to provide him a new nature. Now, you may not be an addict. You may not be a thief. But you may be indeed unconverted. Has this transformation happened to you? Do you have this new nature? The appeal in the passage and the, and, and the appeal that I give is that if you are a new creature in Christ, live accordingly. If you have a new life, a new Lord, if you have a new nature, you are called to something new. That is a new lifestyle. And to live like the new creature that you are in Christ. If not, call on Him to save you, and He will. Let's pray. Father, again, we are thankful. We're thankful for redemption. We're thankful for the newness of life. We're thankful, Father, that now, since You have changed us, this is not a work that we have done. This is not something that we can try to earn. This is not something that we go out and, and, and with a checklist of, of, of numerous things to, to check off our list so that, okay, now I'm right with God. But no, this is the newness of life. This is the salvation that has come in the truth of Christ that... Father, that we turn, we repent, we rely solely and completely upon Jesus. And now, Father, we can serve rightly, we can do rightly, we can uh, be right only because of the Christ that lives in us. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this and help us to take this out to others, to live accordingly and be able to proclaim the hope that was, is within us. And Father, we, we thank you, we praise you for us for it. And, and Father, we ask that you would make us useful. Make us useful for you and your purpose and your glory. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.